today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Praise God, but I know that a lot of us, we're still on journey, and we continue to surrender that to the Lord. If we're going to say that we are lovers of God and that we are His true children, then we need to understand that that paternal bond that we have with each other through the blood of Christ, that paternal bond that we are children of God. God is our Father. He's our Father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a paternal bond. That ought to be sufficient to cause us to work tirelessly at having a true and a sacrificial love for one another. Do you feel like you love your brothers and sisters in Christ well? In today's message from Pastor David, he challenges you to examine your heart towards your siblings in Christ. If we truly love God and are His children, then we will work hard to create peace within His family. Pastor David encourages you to recognize the paternal bond you have with your family of God through Christ. Serve your brothers and sisters truly and sacrificially. Love God well by truly loving all of His family well. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 5 as he begins his message that you may know. of 1 John. We are looking to finish the the final chapter, chapter 5. But before we even get into chapter 5, before we finish up this particular epistle, I want to remind you of some of the things that we've spoken about because it has uh, kind of drug out for a while. Some of you may not have been with us the entire time. Some of the things that I shared with you at the very beginning was I shared with you that that John was writing. He was arguing against a lot of the, the, the prevalent teachings of some of the groups that had already come and impacted and come into the church. We're talking first century. We're talking only maybe 80, 90 AD here, some 60 years at best since the time of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. Again, late, yeah, in the first century, but still a very short time, and these things have already started infecting and influencing the church. He had to deal with groups called Docetists, uh, Gnostics, and the one that is really cool is Anti-Nominalists, okay? Not the Anti-Nominalists, we'll get that in a moment. But the Docetists, they were the guys that taught that Jesus was actually, he was just spirit only. He just looked like he had a body, and he just you know, wherever he went. He wasn't really flesh and blood. It just kind of looked like he was. Not in human form, only a spirit creature. The Gnostics believed they taught that Jesus was either, either he was fully human and the Christ consciousness or the Christ presence came upon him at his baptism and then left him right at or just prior to his crucifixion. They also taught that only certain people were actually granted 
the real truth. It wasn't available for all you guys, but uh, just for guys, you know, that are gifted like me. That you know, that's what the Gnostics believed in. Again, that that was their understanding. This there was they they were the ones who were enlightened. Everybody else was uh, way way below them. The anti-nominalists, they were a bit of a different group. Their, their name actually speaks about what they are. Anti, meaning against, and then nomos is the Greek word for law. They were against the law. So a Christian or someone who says that they are a Christian and is an anti-nominalist, well, what they're saying is, yes, we don't deal with the law at all. As a matter of fact, I, I can live any way that I want now because the law is completely done away with, and I can just live any way I want, and some of them would even say, yeah, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all unrighteousness, so I can go and live like the world, because, again, I got the blood of Jesus. That's going to get me into heaven. That whole attitude, that whole understanding that the spirit and the body were, were separate from each other, and that you could do anything in the body, and it would not affect the spirit at all. But I think if any of you have been believers for more than about a week, you realize that when you mess up in the body, yeah, it's gonna mess up your spirit too. Because again, it just, it just quenches that work and that fire and that move of the Holy Spirit within our lives. John was fighting against all of these false teachers they, they had worked their way into the church. I also shared with you that there were at least four specific reasons why John wrote 1 John. And the way we know that is because John says, this is why I'm writing this. And he does that four times. Look, if you would, 1 John 1, 4. And I know that we've looked at these again, but this is our last time in 1 John. I just want to bring it all back together again for you. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4 he says, and these things we write to you, for what reason, church? That your joy may be full. He said, man, I want you to have joy in the journey. And right now, as John is writing this, the church is suffering. The church is going through tremendous persecution, and the persecution is not going to slow up for them. And he says, I want you to know joy. It's not happiness. And we talked about that. Happiness is totally different than joy. Joy is that deep inner feeling that, that comes from the peace that passes all understanding. The peace, not like the world gives, but the peace that Jesus gives us. And in that peace, we can actually have joy. John also said in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Oh, and if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So John understands, even though the teaching might come and says, ah, you can live any way you want to now that you're a believer. John says, no, I'm, I'm writing to you so that you don't sin. If you do sin, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. But I'm writing to you right now, don't sin. Live your life in holiness. And we spoke about that. Also in chapter two, down in verse 26, John says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. That's all these false teachers, this false doctrine that's been coming into the church. Aren't you glad that, you know, again, all the false teaching and all the false doctrine was done away at the first century? We don't have to deal with that anymore. Oh, I wish, I wish. But you know one thing about the fact that there's still being false teaching going around is that it keeps driving us back to the word keeps driving us back to the Word. And if you're not a student of the Word, if you only know a little bit of the Word, guess what? You can be greatly deceived. 
knowing a little bit of the word, you can be greatly deceived. Because most false teachings, most false religions use many times the word and they draw you into it. And John says, man, I'm writing this stuff so you don't get deceived. That's the reason we preach the word. I was talking with someone just this week about the fact of how little there is of just straight Bible teaching within the church. Uh, You can go to churches all over and very seldom do you hear very much of the Bible. You get one little sentence and then boom, the rest of it is whatever. But the teaching, thorough teaching, expository teaching of the Word of God. Guys, it's the Word of God that brings life and power, that brings strength into our lives, not the wisdom of man. 1 John 5, 13, and we'll be looking at this tonight. John, the fourth part here says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, we'll look at that a little bit later, but it is a sad, sad commentary on the knowledge and on the teaching that people are under when you can ask somebody, say, let me ask you, do you think if you're going to die tonight that you will have eternity with God forever? Well, you know, I'm really trying. I don't know. What church do you go? Well, I go to XYZ church or I go to this church. How long have you been a believer? Oh, you know, I don't know, for for years and years. And you don't know for certain? Our God is powerful enough. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to make certain that we know that we know that we are born again. That's why John wrote these things. Here's some markers to help you to understand, help you to see, even as Paul says, to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith or not. Should we be examining ourselves? Absolutely, absolutely. I don't ever want to get to the point that, well, you know, 10 years ago I had the assurance of salvation, so I'm probably pretty good now. I should be fine. You know, that's, that's foolish. We don't do that in any other area. Why would we ever want to do that with our Christian walk? That whole idea of assurance of salvation is was and still remains a a real battle in in many that are in the church even today. And again, we'll look more at that uh, tonight. Thirdly, and kind of along the same line, I shared with you that throughout this letter, John gives us three tests in order to help us to see whether or not we truly are in the faith. Very clear test that is just right there. He says, man, if you say you're this and you're doing that, guess what? You're not this. You're, you're, you're lying to yourself. You're, you're lying about God. We talked about three different areas. This social test, that it matters how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. If you say you love God, but you hate your brother, guess what? The truth's not in you. So there's an issue there that needs to be taken care of. The doctrinal test, it matters what you believe about Jesus. It matters what you believe about Jesus. Jesus. That's why Jehovah's Witness are not Christians. That's why LDS, Mormons, according to their doctrine, are not Christians. They believe in a totally different Jesus. There are even those within the canopy of what many would call the Christian faith that say that they are Christians, but because their doctrine about who Jesus is and what he has done for us is so askewed I would have a hard time saying that they are truly Christian. Because if your doctrine about Jesus 
is messed up, guys, that is the foundation. And if you got that wrong, yeah, yeah, woe be unto you, the doctrinal test. And then thirdly, here's the hard one, the moral test. You say you're a Christian? Well, how are you living? Are you, are you saying you're a son of God and you're living like a child of the devil? Then there's a real issue there that you need to be checking with. As a matter of fact, when we get into chapter five, we're, we're gonna actually back up a couple of verses into the last couple of verses, chapter four, because I believe it all comes together. And you need to remember the, uh, the chapters and the verses were not inspired, okay? The word was inspired. The chapter and verses came many, many years later. That's just so I can say, okay, take your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, and you'll know right where we're at. And we'll see in chapter 4, verse 20 and 21 is actually, it's another part of the social test, uh, how we treat other believers. Uh, when we start getting into chapter 5, verse 1 and down in verse 5, that's another portion of the doctrinal test. It matters about what you believe. And then chapter 5, verses 2, 3, and 4, that's another section or just another declaration of the moral test. It matters how we live. So let's look at that, chapter 4, verse 20 and 21. Here John is returning to that theme that he's used all throughout the letter, all throughout the letter. From the very beginning in chapter 1, he speaks about that. It is part of that social test that we see all throughout 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, John writes, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's deluding himself? Is that what it says? No. John's pretty direct, isn't he? He's kind of, You're a liar. You know, I, I usually don't say that in counseling sessions. Maybe I need to more often. But uh, it would lessen the counseling probably that we do. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, from God, that he who loves God must love his brother also. I want to ask for hands on how many are hitting that at 100%. Because I, I know sometimes it's, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle. But that doesn't lessen the reality of what we're called to do. Let's face it, sometimes some of the people we know are very difficult to love. None of you in here. But there are people that are very difficult to love. And they are brothers and sisters in Christ. I can just imagine, even, even with the disciples, remember, you had the zealots, man. Those guys wanted to go out and kill somebody anytime. And, and they were followers of Jesus. You had Matthew, that stinking tax collector. And I remember last year before he joined the disciples, how he really messed me over and how all the taxes he took. I don't like that guy, but now he's a follower of Jesus. I got to love him. And how about that sneaky guy, Judas? You know what? He was part of the team. And at that point in time, the love had to be there. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus washed Judas's feet. If, if God knows everything about us, everything, even the things we don't admit to ourselves, and he loves us still, how can I not love others? In all the weaknesses and the cracks and the chips and the stains that I know I have, I, I, I would have to become very proudful, I would have to become very arrogant, and I would have to literally lie to myself to put myself on any kind of pedestal to say that I'm better than anyone else, anyone else. They say the ground at the foot of the cross is level. 
And that's absolutely true. There, there's none better. There's none worse. We come to Christ because we all need the forgiveness of sin. When I read this, and, and again, John hits it so hard all throughout this epistle. I wonder how many schisms, how many divisions were in the church even then. Guys, you need to love each other. You say you're a believer, then man, what's going on? Paul dealt with this. He said, man, one guy says he's of this, one of Silas, one guy says he's of Paul, another guy says, and then the other, the really spiritual one said, well, I'm of Jesus. You know, and so you, you guys are just putting in divisions there. We're good at that because we're really good at judging people according to our standards. How much pride and arrogance has become a part of those that have been bought by the precious blood of the Lamb? Sad, sad situation. How did they so quickly get to a point of literally hating or despising their brothers and sisters in Christ? Did they feel that they were better than another one, more worthy of salvation? Because in reality, that's what you're saying. I'm more worthy of salvation than he is or she is when we start putting each other on pedestals. Jesus, you got to understand, Jesus left his throne room of glory, eternity with the Father, to come and live a life with absolutely no possessions, to bear the, the reproach of man, to take upon himself the iniquity of us all, having no earthly power, no earthly authority at all. He came, why? Because he knew the stinkingness and the rot of our lives. And he loved us anyway. And he knew that we needed redemption. You wonder what here, had some of these Christians at the church at that time, maybe they'd been mistreated by others that were in the church. I've got people that I know in this town right now that say, hey, yeah, oh, yeah, love you, Pastor David. I just can't go to your church. So-and-so still goes there, right? You think, really? You're letting another individual direct your spiritual life in that. And if that is a situation, your responsibility is to go to that one. That's what the Word says. You come and bring your gift to the altar, and the Lord reminds you, hey, so-and-so has something against you. He says, leave your gift at the altar. And I like that. Leave your gift at the altar. And then, but go, go and take care of that issue with your brother or sister. You've got an issue with somebody? It's your responsibility. Don't sit back and say, well, I'll just wait until they come. Because I, it wasn't me that did the bad thing. It was them. You know what? So go and talk to them. Go and talk to them. And maybe just perchance you might win a brother back. No reason for that kind of schism, for that kind of division. Christ was so rejected. He was rejected by his family. He was executed by his own countrymen. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The very ones he came to save were the ones that condemned him to die. Yet he prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. So what right do I have to hold anything against anyone? Did they really feel that the body of Christ could be divided and it not impact the message of the gospel and the testimony of, of their lives to the world around them, particularly when Jesus himself had told the disciples, hey, they'll, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. 
Not by the number of uh, Bible verses you quote, though it's good to know Bible verses. Not by the amount of time that you come to church, so it's good to man come and be in fellowship with believers in Christ and to encourage one another in that. Not by any other thing. He said, this one thing, this one thing alone is how the world will know that you are my disciples. Because you have that bumper sticker that says, I love Jesus, how about you? Nah. See a lot of people with bumper stickers and shirts, and you think, oh man, why don't you turn that shirt inside out if that's the way you're going to be doing or living or driving. Okay, now he's preaching. Okay, uh, John wanted the church to fully and, and, and completely know, to be without any excuse that we are to love one another, even as Christ loved each one of us. Knowing full well who we are, who we were, where we had been, and what we are yet going to do. That's the omniscience of, of God. He knows tomorrow, and yet he still loves us. Nothing takes him by surprise. If Christ, being so intimately aware of all of our failures, was still willing to give his life for our salvation, is it too much for him to ask us to live our lives in humility and forgiveness to one another? I don't believe that it is. I wish I could tell you, man, I, I, I've reached that point. I, I, I don't have any problems with anybody. It's still, I'm still on journey, just like with a lot of you. For those of you that have finally reached that plateau of, man, there's no animosities and there's no issues, praise God. But I know that a lot of us, we're still on journey, and we continue to surrender that to the Lord. If we're going to say that we are lovers of God and that we are his true children, then we need to understand that that paternal bond that we have with each other through the blood of Christ, that paternal bond that we are children of God. God is our father. He's our father. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a paternal bond. That ought to be sufficient to cause us to work tirelessly at having a true and a sacrificial love for one another and that we would walk with forgiveness and when I screw up and I say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing, that you would forgive me. And when you say something or do something or act some way, then I'm going to say, man, that's just another brother, another sister that's on journey just the way I am. I don't like what you did. And by the way, listen, I love you enough to speak to you and say, you know what you said, man, that cut me to the heart. And you know, if they are really on journey in Christ, it'd probably break their heart to know that they did that to a brother and sister. So again, sometimes that responsibility comes back to us taking care of that issue. Let's move on into chapter five. That's where we're supposed to be. Chapter five, we, we, we see a little bit of the doctrinal test here laid out right before us. First uh, John five, verse one, John writes, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, loves Christ, who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. So if you love Jesus, you love God. The relationship is there. But also, everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. The first, the foremost, really, to be correct in our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. I, I spoke about that earlier.
are so glad we could be with you today as we opened God's Word and dove deeply into its goodness and truth. If you missed any part of today's message in John's epistles, we encourage you to catch up on our website, theopenword.com. There you'll be able to browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of The Open Word. We'd love to hear from you too and find out how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 520-836-9676. Is social media part of your routine? Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link at our website, theopenword.com. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Oh yeah, thanks Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word.